Okay, we're, we're set. All right, again, if you're in the uh, foyer, find a class. The foyer is not a classroom. <laughs> the sanctuary, room 160. Or if you happen to be teaching the 5th and 6th grade class today, good luck with that. Or uh, <laughs> whatever it is you may be doing. Okay, and I, I want to remind everybody to please, everybody in this section, would you move over here? We want to get into the habit of sitting in this section over on this side. We want to be east side people during the Sunday school uh, hour as much as we can, just so that uh, I don't get whiplash. That's the that's the let's let's use that as let's use that as our working theory. I'll even move this over <laughs> over that way. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for. Uh, this day that you give us uh, each each week to come together and, and worship you. And uh, we uh, thank you today for our mothers. This is a not a not a set-aside spiritual day, but uh, that is necessarily biblical. But uh, but we love our moms, and, and we know that you love uh, and you have ordained the family and moms and dads and, and given special instructions to moms and dads and, and children. And so we do thank you for our moms, and we thank you for this time that we have set aside today to, to fellowship and to, and to be taught uh, from your word. And so we, we'd ask that you would uh, help all of us, help me, as we, as we learn together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're... we're Talking about perseverance of the saints, but I but I take a, I took a huge detour with uh, just looking at doctrines of grace in general and the his, historical part of the doctrines of grace, and uh, we uh, we looked at the the comforting aspect of perseverance that we have assurance that we are going to persevere to the end, and we and we took comfort in that last week as we thought about our our sister Jane, and we also again looked at historical aspect and and I. Took a look at Pelagius back in the, the 400, uh, 400 A.D. and his uh, his complaint that wait a minute, certainly God gave us the power within ourselves to be really really good. I mean really good, <laughs> so that we don't need God. Basically, once we've once we believed. You can pretty much, you know, we don't need God anymore. We're, he's, he should have given us, he should have given us the power to do that. That was the, the bottom line for Pelagius. And of course, uh, nope, that, that's not true, and he was shot down. Well, there's another guy that came along back in the uh, 1500s, and that's, uh, I, I mentioned his name last week, James Hermanson, better known as Arminianus, Arminian, uh, Arminianus. Arminius, <laughs> gotta say it right. <laughs> Arminius, Jacob Arminius. That was his Latinized name, and we kind of laughed at that last week. But you know that was pretty typical of the time that people. Uh, Latin was the the language that you were going to converse in in terms of science and theology. That was the language that you would use at the time. Back if you were going to to write important papers, you would write in Latin. And so to Latinize your name was no big deal. Uh, so even though we chuckled at that, uh, you know, he was just doing what everybody else was doing. You, you wrote in Latin, so he was Latinizing his name. No, he was, uh, 
Uh, I think he was from, um, I'm going to say the Netherlands, but I might be. Yeah, yeah. I think he was. I think he was. He was from Europe. He was not. Uh, yeah, he was not. A, I'm pretty sure he was not a Jew. If you find out, if you Google that right now and find out, nope, you're wrong. He was a Jew. Then you can tell me. But, <laughs> but I don't think he was. <laughs> um, he 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 lived in the late 1500s, or he died in I think 1609. And again, Ar- Arminius is his Latinized name, and his. His he he taught he was he I, I shouldn't say taught he he was taught under just one man removed from Calvin himself and so he he had strong Calvinistic teaching but he rejected it he rejected the teachings of Calvin and uh, for for Arminianus uh, he he believed that God who has foreknowledge would look forward in time to those who would believe. In other words, God looks down the tunnel of time and says, oh, Joe is going to accept me as my Savior. Way to go, Joe. Therefore, I'm going to elect you to salvation. God looks down the corridors of, of time and sees Michael. Michael's going to accept me as his Savior. I elect you. That was his point of view, is that that's how God operated. He would look down the tunnels of time since he has foreknowledge, and when he sees somebody who believes as a Savior, then that's who I'll elect. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like it's cheating. Doesn't it? (laughs) That's like when, I don't know, it just seems... Obviously, there's something off there. And, of course, in terms of our, our uh, uh, and we know it's not true biblically, and, of course, in terms of our uh, topic of perseverance, Arminianists generally believe that uh, if you're e- elect, you can also unelect yourself. You can also decide, okay, I decided for, uh, for Christ, and now I'm going to undecide for Christ and, and f- fall away and be an apostate, and, and I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Uh, I, I've, I've elected myself, and now I'm going to unelect myself. So those were some of the um, some of the uh, main tenets, and, and some of the things that are, we still see in, in our, the Arminianist beliefs today uh, are those thoughts that man has a complete free will to choose God, and if I have a free will to choose God, then I have a free will to not choose God at some point in my life if I feel like it, uh, even after I've made, made that choice. And, of course, the objection is it seems like cheating. And in terms of our perseverance and our assurance of salvation, then we have no assurance. If I can can unelect myself, I probably will. And some of you probably heard MacArthur preach that that many times. If I could lose my salvation, I will. If my salvation can be lost, I'll lose it. Guaranteed. I lost it on the way here to church today. I lost it coming down the hallway today. <laughs> you know, there. I mean, it's. I the number of times that I would have lost my salvation are innumerable, uncountable, and that's not assuring. That's depressing. To have no assurance, to think that second by second, oh, now I'm saved. Now I'm not. <sighs> it's despair. 
we we need assurance. We need assurance. He was a Arminianist was a professor of theology at Leiden University in the Netherlands. He um, and and that's why I think he's from the Netherlands. He um, um, but I think I read something before that that told me that too, that he's somewhere in the Europe region. He he uh, ended up teaching doctrine contrary to Calvin, even though he was taught in the Calvinistic Reformed, and I should say m- probably more Reformed tradition, uh, even, um, of that day. In 1605, uh, because of his teaching, Reformed pastors were calling for disciplinary action against him because of his teaching. You know, it was, they were, other other churches in the area and pastors in the area were recognizing this guy is way off base in terms of uh, his teaching. And uh, so they, they wanted disciplinary action against him and his followers because he had a following. And so there were uh, synods, and an, a synod, S-Y-N-O-D, is a, just an assembly or a court of religious officials that would gather together to make decisions. And so uh, a synod was called by both sides. The Reformed churches says, said, we need a council to make this decision. And the Arminian, they were also saying the same thing. Let's call a council to make a decision on this. And so, um, and that's what happened. Ar- Arminius died in 1609 and uh, just soon after he died, his followers published what is called the Remonstrance. Now, a Remonstrance sounds kind of monstrous, doesn't it? A Remonstrance is a forceful, reproachful protest or argument against some point or some belief. And so the Arminians, they published a Remonstrance against the Reformed churches, against the teaching of the Reformed churches. And in their remonstrance, in their document, they had five major points. Sound familiar? Five major points that they griped about. Where have we heard of the number five and five points, like the, doc, the five doctrines of grace, which the five, the tulip, the five points of Calvinism. It, were, it was the Arminians who brought this up. <laughs> They're the ones that basically brought to the forefront the five doctrines of grace. Now, the doctrines of grace have always existed. It's not like, oh, they created them. No, it's biblical. You can, you can find the doctrines of grace throughout the teachings of, in the Bible and the, the apostles, the church fathers, and, of course, Calvin and the, and the Reformed uh, fathers. All, all of, you know, it's not like, but again, you're not going to find a chapter in the works of Calvin, but my five points... You know, they're, they're spread throughout all the doctrine of the church and, 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 and biblical teaching. But it was the Arminians who said, we don't like these five things. These five things we object to. And we want a hearing. We want a hearing. And so these were the five things that uh, they opposed. Number one, they opposed that election was conditioned they said election is conditioned on foreseeing faith and obedience. In other words, God looks down the corridor of time, foresees that you're going to believe, and elects you. That, of course, opposes unconditional election, that we are elected by God 
unconditionally, on no merit of our own. Does anybody here know why God chose you? I think all of us, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we would look at ourselves and, and just say, I have no idea why God chose me. Because you needed it? <laughs> there you go. And that's, and that's no condition except something unknown to us. Okay, so, so there, there was no condition at all based on what, anything that we would do at all. And they said, nope, God saw something. He saw that I was going to, I was going to believe, and so that's why I was elected. And so they, that was their first gripe. Their second gripe was unlimited atonement, which opposes L that limited, uh, the, uh, that uh, atonement is limited for the elect only. That the Lord atoned for the elect. And they said, no, everybody. It was unlimited. And so that was a gripe. Number three, deprivation, as opposed to uh, depravity. We are not totally depraved. We're just deprived. And just like the Pelagians, when you come to faith, then you're okay. And you'll have goodness in you then to be able to keep the faith and persevere. And then you'll have a little bit of goodness in, in you. That regeneration enables sinners to do good towards keeping their salvation, towards maintaining that. And again, that opposes the total depravity. That we, don't, we can't do anything to merit our salvation. Absolutely nothing. Four is resistible grace, which opposes irresistible grace. Uh, in other words, yeah, you can resist God's call. If, you're an, if even the elect, the elect can resist, which opposes, I, irresistible grace. If you're one of the elect from, of God, his grace is irresistible. The call is irresistible. You will come to faith in Christ. You will answer that call. And then finally, um, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the f- five, Scripture is inconclusive and seems that believers may fall away. They said there's no conclusion that, that uh, you're going to persevere. There's no conclusion that you're secure in your faith. With, with faith which uh, opposes P, perseverance of the saints. Uh, and so that was their, their fifth gripe, was that, nope, people can fall away. There is no security in your faith. There's no assurance. You might fall away. And if you're keeping track, that actually spells, uh, the, if you go in the order of the remonstrance, it's not tulip, it's ultip. But tulip wasn't even around until 1905. Somebody used it in a lecture in 1905. And so it wasn't, wasn't until 300 years later that we even used that acronym to help us remember, uh, uh, to remember the doctrines of grace. And so the Reformed churches heard these gripes and uh, these objections by the Arminianists. And in the Synod of Dort of 1618... Uh, Arminius himself had been dead nine years. Uh, this uh, a group of ref- these this council of reformed churches got together to look at the arguments back and forth, and the synod uh, refuted 
all of the Arminius belief. They said, sorry guys, according to scripture, and they used scripture to refer to refute every single point and said, you guys are way off base. You're heretics and you're not part of us. You're not part of the, you're not part of uh, the reformed tradition and you need to figure it out. And so uh, they, uh, they uh, created a document called the Canons of Dort. A canon is just a rule. And uh, the Canons of Dort, uh, basically what we now call the five doctrines of grace or what has been now known as the five points of Calvinism. I suppose if we wanted to be more correct, we wouldn't say that we were a five-point Calvinist. We were a five-point Dortist is what we might say <laughs> uh, instead, of, instead of that. And so... Um, what, what's interesting here is that, again, the, the five, what we consider the five points of Calvinism actually originated, was pushed by uh, a heretical movement of the Arminians and, and not uh, Calvin himself saying, hey, you know, have you heard, heard about my five points? You know, that never happened. Although he did teach all five points. Well, let's get in. That, that's the history part then. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at perseverance. Uh, of the saints. And we, we touched on that a little bit last time. Let's look at a definition again. This is Wayne Grudem's definition. We saw three definitions last time. We'll just look at this definition from uh, Grudem's systematic theology. And uh, Grudem says that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. And uh, 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 one of my, as I've been studying, one of my go-to passages has been First and Second Peter. And we looked a little bit at, at uh, some of the scriptures in Peter uh, last week. And there are some awesome uh, truths there. Uh, in in First and Second Peter, I'm gonna I'm gonna be going uh, to the to those scriptures a lot today, and so if you uh, if you want to be ready, you can uh, keep your finger in in First and Second Peter because I'll be looking at uh, several scriptures uh, from Peter, and uh, just uh, to share a little bit from last time in First Peter one uh, verse five, which could be a, our own definition of, of perseverance, the biblical definition of perseverance. That uh, uh, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. <laughs> we are being guarded. We are being kept. Our salvation is secure. How? God's power. Not our power, but God's power. And so we always want to keep that in mind. Now I want to look at some of the finer points in terms of this definition. And five point num- uh, fine point number one of the definition is that those who are truly born again will be kept, preserved, will persevere to the end, as we just read in, in First Peter, as we see in this definition from Grudem. A person who externally professes Christ and displays artific- the artificial motions of a hypocrite will eventually fall. There are tears within the church. There are, uh, I mean, right now, a group of about 40 or 50 of you here 
I have, I don't know if every single one of you are truly the elect. Who knows? As Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me. As he wrote some of his last words, and he he said, you know what? Some, Some who I thought were loyal ended up not being, and Demas was one of them. But a true believer is grafted into Christ, not just hung like an ornament on the tree, but grafted and becomes part of the tree. Grafted into Christ and will produce a blossom that will, be, will produce fruit and not have a little flower that's pretty for a while and then just dies and produces no fruit. But a true believer will produce fruit and not wither away. Fine point number two, the saint's perseverance is sustained kept by God. If believers were left to stand on on their own, if we were left to stand on our own power, as Pelagius would have us believe, then we're going to fall. Some sooner, some later, but you will fall. And fall meaning that uh, your eternal destiny will not be heaven. It'll be destruction. If, uh, and when I say destruction, I don't mean annihilation. I mean eternal torment. <laughs> You will feel it. If some of the angels fell from grace, as a third of them did, then how much more likely are we because of the sin that we've inherited from Adam? And fine point number three, although true believers don't lose their salvation, there can be, as we all know, significant breaches in our sanctification. We still sin. Every single one of us, if left up to us, every single one of us would have lost our salvation already sometime this morning. It would have happened. And it may seem like our grace is dying, but it's not dead if you're one of the elect, if you are a true believer. Our lives uh, may look as if all of our grace has been used up, that God is done with us, uh, but and we don't want to be like... Uh, uh, Peter, uh, as Peter wrote in Second Peter, one, Second Peter one nine, Peter Peter wrote that our sin causes us to be blind, and we forget that we've been cleansed from from our sins. We don't want to forget that that uh, uh, sometimes our sin causes us to be distracted from who we really are, and that's what Peter was writing in that verse was: don't become distracted that you are clean before the Lord. You're secure. Don't let your sin cause you to become blind. You're fallen and you're weak, but you're still secure. Now, let's take a a little bit of time and look at some of the foundations, some of the foundational elements of our perseverance, of our security, of our assurance. And so next we want to look at that, the basis of our foundation, what is our assurance that we will persevere to the end and that our salvation is secure? We do have a secure foundation, and we do persevere to the end. And so let's look at, uh, at some of these foundational elements. Um, first, the bedrock of our foundation of security is the mighty works of God the Father. He perseveres for us. <laughs> We can persevere, we can endure because of his perseverance. 
He perseveres for us. And um, I, I really like, uh, th- this is, uh, uh, I, I basically what we have here is the, what you're looking at here in this uh, first foundational element is the order of salvation. And none of us, none of us think, think like this, think this way, that, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. And this. <laughs> but this is really breaking down, anybody here a, a, a scientist, biologist type? If you're a biologist type, and you look at your, your you look at your hand. For me, I'm just well, I'm looking at my hand. But a biologist would say, okay, if I look close enough, I can see cells, and inside those cells, I can see all the parts of a cell, and I can break all those parts up, and everything gets teeny tiny microscopic little thing. Here's here's the biology of salvation. Basically, he elected us. The mighty works of God. You were elected. In eternity past, before before the earth was created, before you were born, you were elected. Like John said, why? Because of his will. Nothing on my part. (laughs) Just because he willed it, and I have no idea why he willed it, but he did. He elected us. And then, once we are here on earth, he called us. We were called. And we were regenerated. We were given faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, we, he gave us the faith. It wasn't our faith. He gave it to us. He called us and gave us faith, regenerated us, made us alive, and opened our eyes to our sin so that we could convert, meaning repent. He converted us. He, he, he gave us the wherewithal to see our sin and repent from that, and then justified us before the Lord, before God, justified us i love justify to say just as if i'd never sinned <laughs> we're justified before god and adopted us into the family and those things of of regenerated converted justified adopted happen like that <laughs> in the snap of a finger and all of us right now this is what he if you're a, if you're if you are a believer all of this has happened to you already and now this is what has happened to you now you're being sanctified we are being sanctified and we are being preserved we are persevering that's what's happening to us right now we're growing in our sanctification in becoming more and more christ-like set apart for him and we're persevering in that work of service that's where we're at right now and then just as we said goodbye to our sister Jane, there will come that time of complete salvation of glory where we are with the Lord and our salvation is complete. And we persevered to the end. We have this complete picture of our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul wrote, all this is from God concerning the salvation of the saints. All of this is from, the, from God. These are the mighty works of God the Father. That's our foundation for our assurance of salvation. A second foundational element is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are a child of God. I remember when I was a little kid, the Holy Spirit assured me. I, I, I could... You know, it's one of those things. How do you describe? How do you describe the Spirit testifying to your spirit that you're saved? 
only I think only the elect really get that. If you're that would be one of the things that one of the clues that I would ask you if you know if you're if you're worried about your salvation if you're not assured is the Spirit testifying to you that you're forgiven that you are justified before the Lord before God is the Holy Spirit testifying to you that you're a child of God that your assurance is that your salvation is sure secure that you will persevere. I remember as, as a kid when I, when I became a Christian and, and was regenerated and converted and was justified that the Holy Spirit assured me. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are a child of God. It's the influence of the Holy Spirit living within, a, within us, working within us, transforming us daily continuously into the image of Christ until, until we leave this place and we are in the complete image of Christ and complete in him. 2 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14 provides a really, really nice picture of God preserving us and the Holy Spirit energizing us to perseverance. Preservation by God and perseverance because of the Holy Spirit's work within us. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And some versions say, instead of what has been entrusted to me, what I have entrusted to him. In other words, I have entrusted my life to God. God is guarding me. He's keeping me. I'm preserved by the Lord. And then Paul goes on and says this, follow the pattern of the sound words. In other words, persevere. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. In other words, okay, persevere. How? By the Holy Spirit. That's how you persevere. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word of God, your salvation. And so we have a great picture here of preservation and perseverance that, that Paul, Paul, I've trusted my life to you. You're guarding it. You're keeping it. You've preserved me. And then the Lord's saying, and I've given you my Holy Spirit to persevere so that you can keep the faith that has been entrusted to you, that you can keep the word that's been entrusted to you. We trust our lives with the Lord, and he's trusting his word with us to be faithful, to proclaim the gospel, to be faithful servants. So this is a great picture of of God preserving us, the Holy Spirit energizing us to persevere. A third foundational element is Christ's continuous intersection for us, his intercession for us. The, the, uh, we have the mighty works of God as a foundation, the Spirit works within us, and Christ intercedes for us in heaven before the Father. Uh, the Lord's words to Peter in Luke 22, 31 through 34 Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Have you ever felt like you were sifted like wheat? You ever had one of those days? Yep. 
that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In other words, will not fail. I'm praying for you. And then I love this. And when you have turned again, in other words, after this sifting, after this terrible time that you've experienced, you're going to come back. You're going to be strengthened. I'm praying for you. And you're going to be strengthened. You're going to turn. You're going to turn back. Not that he lost his salvation. He was just being sifted. And you're going to turn back. And now I've got to find my place. (laughs) You're going to be turned back. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. You're going to be even stronger than you were before. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And of course, we know that uh, just a, a little bit after that, Peter denied Christ. He was sifted big time. <laughs> and yet, a little while later, after Christ returned and, and appeared to Peter, he turned back. He came back around and became a leader of leaders, a leader in the 12 disciples, a leader of leaders. He strengthened his brothers. And so these, uh, this can be encouraging to us as we look at Peter's life who was sifted daily. Christ is praying for us. Um, he's our intercessor. And there, there's so many scriptures that we could look at for, in terms of looking at Christ's intercession for us. But I need to, uh, and I've got to, uh, I'm going to say this anyway, even though I'm short, even though I'm already talking too much. Acts 7.55, Stephen's, Stephen's, awesome sermon his awesome preaching and then he was stoned and you have these men who should be just on their knees just like when Peter gave his sermon in the uh, in Acts and, and 3,000 said what what can we do and Peter said repent when when Stephen was uh, giving his his sermon before the Jews it was exactly the opposite they stoned him they killed him They hated what he said. They hated what he had to say about repentance. But in Acts 7.55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in that moment before as he was dying and giving up his spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's where the intercessor stands is at the right hand of God interceding for us, saying, that guy is sinless. He's one, of, he's one of ours. He's one of ours. Welcome him to heaven. Stephen persevered in the face of death and with, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he actually saw, had that glimmer of Christ standing before the Father interceding for him and then a split second later there he was right there with Jesus with the Father a fourth foundation is the word of God and its promises the word of God is a foundation for us of course 1 Peter one twenty three. you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God 
We abide, we live through the word of God. We, we think about the promise in 1 John 5, that this is a testimony given to us, the words of God given to us, that God gave us eternal life and the life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things. The word of God is given to us so that you who believe in the name of God may know that you have eternal life, that you can be assured of eternal life, that it's secure. You don't have to worry from one minute to the next. Am I saved today? I thought about asking, uh, asking you all, how many of you walked the aisle more than once? And I decided, well, I'm not going <laughs> to... Some of you will admit to it. <laughs> because I've talked to so many people who said, well, you know, I, you know I, I, uh, I walked... Uh, you know, at summer camp when I was 10 years old, I went forward and accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then in, in junior high, I lived like a little hellion and figured I wasn't saved. And so I went forward again when I was a freshman in high school. And then my high school years were just pathetic. And so my senior year at summer camp, uh, I, 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 I went forward again. And around the campfire, I dedicated, I gave my, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And college was terrible. And so I, you know, and, I, and just time after time after time after time. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, I would say, reevaluating your life. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you don't have to get saved 20 times. He, <laughs> yeah, we're saved once for all, once for all, uh, and uh, you can be assured of your salvation. And we want to continue talking about this assurance because we want to be, we want to know these. Like here in First John five thirteen, these things are written so that we can know. Will we have bad days? Sure. Is my salvation lost? No way. We're still secure. We're still safe in the arms of God. Now, there are some objections. So let me take just a couple of minutes and look at some of the objections, usually from Arminians. And one of the objections is from 1 Corinthians 10.12. that says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, you can fall. Hebrews 4.1 Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Looks like some of you are not going to make it. These words are not words of, oh, you were a Christian and now you're going to fall. Be careful because even though you think you're saved, uh-uh, you could fall off the wagon and, and you're, you're going to be in bad shape. These are warnings to Christians. These are warnings to Christians about carelessness in the faith. And being that person who is not confident, that does doubts, and you wonder about salvation. You don't want to be that type of person and where you're, you're not confident and not strong in your ability to serve. Uh, Peter wrote about this in 2 Peter 1.9. If, you, if, you, if, if you've got your finger in Peter, if you look at 2 Peter 1.9... Peter wrote this, For whoever lacks these qualities, and we're going to talk about these qualities next, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Like when you're growing up and you walk the aisle 20 times. You forgot. Don't you remember? 
You've already been saved. You are just not taking heed to the, the qualities that you, need to, that you need to pay attention to, and we're going to talk about those qualities next. So take heed about your salvation, about who you are in Christ. Don't, don't be blinded by your sin, because we will still sin, but don't let that, don't let that cover up the fact that you are secure. And I think for, for us, isn't that the kind of the bottom line? We blow it, and we wonder, is God going to forgive? Is, is God just going to say, I'm done with you? The answer is no. If you're elect, no. Might we be in a weakened state? Blinded? Have doubts? Yep, it'll happen. That's the warnings given here. That's the purpose of those scriptures. To warn you that you could, be in a, you could become in a weak state. That's, you don't want to be there. Are you still secure in your salvation? Yes. Another troublesome scripture, uh, probably the number one troublesome scripture, is Hebrews 6, uh, verses 4 through 9. And in Hebrews 6, starting with, with verse 4, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the, powers of, of, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their, uh, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And so you, it sounds like, well, he's, he's talking about Christians here. They've been enlightened, they've tasted, they've shared, uh, all this, and yet they've fallen away. It looks like, uh, and this is proof to a lot of people that see you can you can follow you can fall away. Well, uh, there's one guy that that experienced all of that and obviously was not a Christian. That's Judas. Judas experienced all of that. And he was clearly not a believer. He was clearly a hypocrite. He was clearly a false <laughs> a false Christian. But. If you continue on in that passage, if you continue on in that passage, passage, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Though we speak this way, yet in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He's talking about unbelievers. Because then he says, but in your case, beloved... You who are elect, you who believe, you are true, you who are true, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. You have salvation. You're not going to fall away. Will? Yeah, of course. If you lost it, you were never you were never elect anyway <laughs> in the first place. And so, uh, you, and you have to. You know, what about verse nine? <laughs> Who's he really talking about here? <laughs> uh, those who never believed in the first place—they've experienced 
the, uh, I, I mean, coming to church here, Grace Bible Church, or, any, or point to other churches that are meeting right now. You have a lot of folks that are having a, a wonderful experience of fellowship and teaching in, in the word as we enjoy here. And it's happening all over town and all over, the, all over the state and the country and the world. And yet, in the group of believers, there will be those tares who are experiencing the same thing. And yet, they, they're just an experiencer and haven't grabbed hold of it. Uh, they're, not, they're not a true believer yet. We pray that they will be, but they're not yet. Now, I want to look at some evidences, some of those qualities that we talked about uh, there in, in uh, Peter, because Peter in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities, in verse 8, backing up again, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So we, we want to have these qualities so that we're not ineffective. We're still saved, we're still secure, but we're ineffective. We're probably not very happy. We're probably kind of miserable because we doubt our faith. And we doubt a lot of things within the church. And we get disgruntled easily, and, and we're unhappy easily. And so here's some qualities that, that Peter mentions in Second Peter Chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power, again, giving everything to God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of that is in the world because of the sinful desire. Basically saying, through God's power, you're saved. And then he says in verse 5, for this very reason, for the fact of your salvation, for the, because of how good God has been to you, no, no, and, and, and no merit on your part, it's all through God's power, for this reason, do these things. For this reason, make every effort, you make an effort, to supplement your faith. And then he gives a list of eight things to supplement your faith with. Virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not an unbeliever. You're just probably a miserable believer. (laughs) You're probably not real happy in your faith and wondering why. Why am I not assured? Why do I think like I, why, why do I feel like I'm not saved every time I get up in the morning? Why is this happening? So he gives us these qualities to assure us of our salvation. And you see the list there. And uh, so real quick, effort a believer honors God with his effort. We dishonor God with a lack of effort. So we, we want to work in conjunction with the power of God, work alongside his power in a disciplined effort because of the gift that, we've, that we have, because of the promises that we've received. There is an effort. There is a responsibility on our part. There's always that tension. There's always that tension of, 
of God's effort and our effort. And we know God's effort trumps everything. But in serving the Lord, we have to we have to come up with an effort on our own. I know that there are Sunday school teachers upstairs who have put forth effort to prepare a lesson. They just didn't wake up and say, well, I guess I'll go to that class and see what happens. They put forth an effort. There was a cleaning crew yesterday who put forth an effort to clean this building. Steve puts in hours of effort to prepare a message. And he did yesterday at the men's breakfast. And, he did, and we'll hear it again. We'll hear another message in a few minutes. Effort is required in the Christian faith. You don't just sit back and wait for things to hit you in the face and go, oh, no. We, we, we must apply effort. Second, and Peter says that, the word of God. Make every effort. Not that that's going to save us, but make every effort. Second, supplement your faith. Supplement. How many of you take supplements? Do you have to? Probably don't have to, but you think, well, maybe I should do that. What supplements do you take? How many supplements are there? It's like, how do you make that decision? Well, Peter gave us a list of supplements. Supplements to give extra. That's what supplement means. To give extra, to supply more, to supply more than what is needed. Everything is already in place, but I'm going to supplement with this. I'm going to give even more. Through, through effort, I'm going to do even more, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to supplement the faith. And again, we're saved by faith alone, but Peter says, supplement your faith. And then here are the supplements. Virtue. Supplement your faith with virtue. Live an exemplary, irreproachable, blameless life. That's part of our transformation into a new creation in Christ. We're becoming more and more like Christ. We grow in our sanctification. Fourth, supplement your faith with knowledge. And this doesn't mean just knowing a lot so that you can spout real quick answers and and think like, boy, that guy's sharp. Yeah, but... Does he have insight? Does he have understanding into the scriptures? Or is he just really good at Bible trivia? Would he be the guy that you'd want on your trivial pursuit team in Bible trivial pursuit? Or is there a deep understanding and the right comprehension of God's word and how that applies in our life? So not just head knowledge, but is it in the heart? Is there a true understanding of the scriptures, the truth of the scripture? Is there a discernment? And not just a knowledge. We supplement our faith with self-control. Another aspect of our sanctification. A desire to obey. Control yourself. Behave yourself. Show restraint. Show discipline in controlling your sinful nature. Are we controlling our desires or our desires controlling us? Which way is it? Do we have self-control? Which way is it going? Sixth, steadfastness. Supplement with steadfastness. Demonstrate patience, endurance over your life. This is perseverance, isn't it? To endure, to be steadfast to the end of your life. Seventh, supplement your faith with godliness. Live in obedience and submission 
to, to God. Serve with reverence. Serve with loyalty, knowing that he's given you everything. He's given you everything. Supplement with brotherly affection. Be kind to one another. Do things for one another. Sacrifice for your brother. Show deference. Offer assistance. And nine, love. Supplement with love. Place others above yourself. Demonstrate the love as we would see in 1 Corinthians 13. And we could go on for weeks on just that. And then Peter says, then he says, you will have the assurance. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all, in, the, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm meaning be assured. Because of these qualities, be assured that your election is sure. You don't have to worry. Confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And when he says fall, he doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. You go back to what he said in verses 8 and 9, that you're not going to be so nearsighted and blind and, and, and doubtful. You're not going to fall back into that kind of a state. But you're going to have an effective state. You're, going to, you're not going to be ineffective. You're going to be effective. So that's what he means by you'll never fall. He doesn't mean losing your salvation. He means that you're going to be assured, that you're going to be an effective servant for the Lord. A few verses later, in verse 12, Peter wrote that he intended to always remind you, I'm going to remind you of this constantly. And then he wrote later that he was soon going to be dead. And yet we have it in the word here, in our Bible. And so we are continually now, even so, being reminded of these qualities so that we can be assured of our our salvation. But to finish up here, I would say the thing that we have to really be careful about is to be on our guard to place the foundational elements of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Those have to have first place in your thought process when it comes to perseverance and your salvation. That's where your faith lies. Because if you look at your fruit first, if that's the first thing you look at when it comes to your perseverance, am I doing enough to persevere? Am I doing enough to be secure? What does my fruit look like? You're going to be sorely disappointed because you'll compare yourself to others. You will fail. You will sin. You will fall in terms of being ineffective, not falling to lose your salvation. Should we examine these qualities? Yes, we should examine these qualities. But we need to be careful that we don't... I don't know if my last slide is going to... Oh, well. (laughs) There it is. How to rest. Don't place your personal experience over the work and word of God because you're going to be disappointed. You're going to disappoint yourself every day. You're going to disappoint yourself every day. 2 Peter 1.19 and we'll close here. 2 Peter 1.19 Peter wrote this and we have something more sure more sure than yourself more sure than yourself 
we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention to the word of God. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which gives us the the power of the word here and the assurance of the word and our assurance of salvation. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. Rest assured in the mighty works of God, the work of Christ interceding for us, the Holy Spirit energizing us to perseverance, and the promises of his word and the power of his word. And if we do that, we will do well in those qualities. If we're strong in those four things of God, the works of God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and the word of God, if you've got those things as your foundation, the qualities then that Peter talks to us about, that you can then look at yourself those will come along naturally. They will naturally happen. And you'll be assured. You can rest assured your salvation is secure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much for the promises that we have in your word. Obviously, we're here now, and you trod the earth a couple thousand years ago. And these men that we that you inspired to write these things lived so long ago. And yet, as we read these words, they are so important and so appropriate and so powerful and meaningful to us. And so we, we thank you for, for all that you are to us, that you, you're everything. And most important, we thank you for our salvation Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I, my prayer is that uh, for myself, as it is for uh, everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, that they would be assured of their salvation, that, that they would know that their salvation is secure, that they can be effective in their service and their work for you. We thank you that you've given this assurance to us in your word. And we thank you for the rest of the day that we'll have to enjoy our fellowship together. And we pray these things in in Jesus' name. Amen.